Welcome to Soulful Connections. I'm Amanda Solar, your host. I started this podcast because I believe when we share our thoughts, our stories, and experiences, we help one another to create more meaningful lives. And I also think that an important part of life revolves around our search for meaningful connection. That seems to only happen when we get real about who we are and we authentically share that. So listen in, try to answer these questions yourself, and let's connect. So welcome to a special soulful conversation with Nate Waldron, Nathaniel Waldron, and Dwight Woods. Um, As long as I think I've known Nate, he has been in the hospitality industry, and Dwight is in the utilities industry, from what I understand. Dwight is a new friend. I just met him last week. And the three of us are going to be talking about race. Um, It's a conversation I think all of us should be having. And we hope to get the conversation started, essentially. So I'm going to dive right in. And I'm going to start with Nate because I've known him longer. So he he gets to start. (laughs) And Nate, I'm going to ask you, um, when did you first even understand that race was a thing. Can you kind of share a little bit about your childhood? I think, well, thank you. First off, thank you. And I'm thanks for, I'm glad Dwight joined as well. I'm glad you two have finally uh, met because I've talked to both of you a lot uh, to each, about each other to each other. So this is exciting. So, um, but for me, I can actually say it was probably fifth grade. And, you know, there were, I was one of three minorities in, in my school. Now, and it was probably, it was weird because like, I think that was the first, and it was a, 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 who, a person who I have become very good friends with in her family as life went on. But, you know, you're fifth grade and you want to go to a dance and you think you want to you, you think you, you want a girlfriend, if you want to call it that, or a, a, fr- a friend that is a girl, and you just want to hold her hand. <laughs> so it was, uh, yes, so it was, she's like, yes, we can do this, and we're going to go to the dance, and then the next day, it was like, I can't go to the dance with you, you know, mm-hmm. I was just like, why, and she's like, my parents said, I can't go with you, and that was my first real like, wow. Um, and I think like I've been to her house to play with her brothers and it was okay, I think, in that arena. But when you ask their daughter out or to go to a you know fifth grade party dance, 
that was my first like, wow, this this could be a problem down the road because there's no other black girls in my school. <laughs> it was all guys. <laughs> you know what? Hey, how did that make you feel? Do you remember? Can you kind of put yourself back in that fifth grade little boy's head? Um, you know, I, I, you, you, it was disheartening. Um, I knew I was mad. And then I was on this campaign. Like, I don't want anyone to be friends with her. <laughs> that was my sure. only, like all my boyfriend, you know, and, and then, you know, I, you don't know what you do because kids are cool. Kids are cool. And um, all my, my friends were like, well, yeah, how, why would she not want to go to the dance with you? This is, this is, you know, this is stupid. This is, you know, what little, what fifth graders would say. Um, and then, you know, later in, in junior high, we revisited that conversation and I, I apologize to her. I'm like, you know what? I know I put you through heck and, you know, fifth grade and part of sixth grade. Cause I just didn't understand. I didn't know how to process what was going on. And then, you know, after having conversations, you know, I was blessed to be raised by my grandparents. And after having conversations with my grandfather, he's like, this is going to be a big part of your life. Um, and it was a blessing that my grandfather and my grandmother, you know, fifth grade, that's when you're getting those lessons. And like, yeah. you, you need to know, um, you know, I, I all through, all through, um, I never knew why my grandfather, my grandparents would put me in like, you know, a sweater vest and a tie. I never knew, you know, I'm in elementary school and I'm wearing ties to school. Um, wow. and, you know, and then as you get in junior high and high school, I'm like, well, this is my, I'm used to this wardrobe. So I, I was like the, you know, the, the black version of Alex, Alex Keaton. If you remember that show, <laughs> he always wore a tie. He always, so all through high school, I always wore ties to school. Um, but my grandfather said, you're going to be judged before you open your mouth you should always look good and look the part. So I think he was grooming me at an early age to prepare me for what was going to happen, you know, down the road. Can I just ask if that was the first time that you had had a conversation about um, race or what that might mean with your grandparents? My grandfather was always giving me nuggets of knowledge. I did okay. not truly understand them. And I think he was waiting for that moment. And yes. then it was it. And I did not know until years later, I, I, I was in my 40s and having a conversation with my grandmother where she said, you know, me and your grandfather, we went to um, counseling on how to raise you. Like, wow and i was like what yeah she told and this is back in you know 1970s yeah you know, that's incredible they went and my grandfather said we ruined one meaning my father he goes i don't want to ruin this one i want to get it right so i did not know that they went to they when they went to a child psychologist and like how wow. can we raise this young man to be you know a good guy so no. well they did a good job Nate I have yeah. to say thank you, thank you. so um Dwight can I jump to you and um ask yeah. you kind of that same question about your childhood and about when you even knew about race period so um my my story is a bit different but it has some very strong parallels uh, with Nate's 
So I have a different father from the rest of my brothers and sisters. Um, so my father is white. My mother is, um, she was a mixed race. Um, and, um, and my brothers and sisters, their father was black. So um, we had a large family. So I was the firstborn, um, very light skinned, as you can see. And my, my brothers and sisters um, were, were darker. And I remember as kids, other kids would make um, comments, you know, when we would play, let's say we were, we were raised in Southern California mostly. My father was a Marine, my stepfather, who I call my father. Um, and kids would make comments like, why is, uh, is that your sister? Why is she so dark? Why, she's black and you're, you're what, what's going on here? Or my daddy says, you know, and he's talking about his father saying something about our family or our situation. So there was always this kind of an odd sense that we were different, um, but I was different. Um, and I think I was conscious and aware all along that something was different because I didn't see anyone else like us. I mean, we were, we definitely stood out um, and definitely we had challenges with moving into new neighborhoods. We moved a lot. Um, Marine Corps transferred my father quite a bit. And so I was typically in many cases, the new kid Often when I would come to school and, and my brothers and sisters were also registered the same day, people didn't put two and two together that we were even brothers and sisters. So sometimes comments would be made because they would be made to me not knowing that, you know, I, I was part of a black family and I was, I was part black, I was biracial. And so you, um, you know, the veil would be unlit, you know, lifted with uh, people saying kind of their true feelings or um, using the N word. Um, so it was, I couldn't really point to a specific time, but I'll tell you the story. Uh, my wife and I, my wife who um, I knew when I was 16 years old, uh, she was my first girlfriend. Oh my gosh. And um, we lived across, each, uh, across the street from each other in um, Southern California. And um, we started going out and we were, you know, we were, um, we quote, unquote, we thought we were in love. Um, and my mom, uh, after about a couple of months, this is um, in high school, and my mom um, asked to speak with uh, my wife, my then girlfriend's mother. And um, she basically told my, my then girlfriend's mother, I don't want Dwight to date white girls. Um, I think it's gonna confuse him. He's, he's gonna be confused his whole life about his racial identity. I think this is going to be a problem. I prefer that he go out with black girls. And so I really think that they should call it off and they shouldn't go out. So we broke up um, because, you know, you do what your parents ask you to do. Um, and um, so it was bizarre. But it, my mother, same similar concerns about wanting to send the right messaging uh, to me. And and um, but what my mom didn't quite understand is that there were black girls who liked me, but they couldn't bring me home. Um, and that I wasn't necessarily going to be welcome there either. Um, so I was kind of caught in the middle and I knew that. So various situations like that would happen. Um, so, so for me, it's, it felt a little bit different. I just, it's kind of a feeling all along that um, I'm, I'm different. And when you're a kid and when you're different, um, it leaves an indelible mark on you. Um, it's, uh, it's a big deal. Um, Nate, as you said, you kind of felt like you were by yourself or alone, or there's just a few of you that were like you that can identify with you. Yeah. And that's, and I, and I definitely felt that. Like I said, I didn't see anyone um, like me. Had I been raised in maybe New York City or something, I would have maybe run into more people with my background yeah. and my, my racial makeup. 
Um, but, uh, you know, Southern California suburbs, uh, Marine Corps bases, even though we were very diverse, um, I, I didn't see a lot of people like me. Wow. Did you feel, did you feel connected more to, you know, your darker skinned siblings? Did you feel connected in any way to maybe your mother who was biracial, your father was white? Like, where did that sit with you? Do you have, did you have a challenge with your identity? Yes, because, so it was, um, the, the challenge was um, a sense of family and also a sense of shame. So because we were different, and again, you know, nowadays um, being biracial or being mixed or whatever you want to call it, oftentimes it's, um, I wouldn't say it's celebrated, but people recognize it as something unique and, and it's not a, necessarily a negative thing. But back then it was, it was definitely negative. And uh, I just remember feeling a sense of less than. Um, I did well in school, and that propped up my, my ego and my self-worth a bit. But at the same time, um, I didn't quite know where I belong or fit in. Um, I was, uh, you know, I couldn't control the comments or the stereotypes that would be, you know, said or, and again, we were in a diverse area in most cases. We were uh, on Marine Corps bases where, you know, there's kids from all kinds of backgrounds. But, but yet there's still a little bit of an undercurrent. It wasn't, it wasn't overt. It wasn't always, it wasn't mean. It was just noticed and commented on. And, and uh, I didn't have all the answers. I couldn't really answer the questions. Like, why, why, are, you, why are you so light and your brothers and sisters are so dark? It was just kids being kids, you know? Yeah, so they're, 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 they're inquisitive. Yeah. Sometimes they're being cruel without realizing they're being cruel. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. they were cruel to be cruel. I mean, you just never, you never knew what reaction you would get. I would have friends who would suddenly not be able to be friends with me because I was part of a black family. Um, you know, those types of things happened. You know, very similar to what you would hear from many people. In this, yeah. in this state. You know, it's interesting as you're both talking. And I think the older I get, instead of be, uh, gaining more clarity, I actually get more and more confused by the whole word race and by the whole concept of it i as i was growing up my mother would always say look at that person's skin tone she looked at it aesthetically and always said oh that's a warm pretty or that's a or wonder what their parents are so it was always looked at aesthetically and it's so it's so perplexing that we've got this whole country in a way that's kind of set up to uh i don't know expound upon the differences based upon our pigment which is super weird i think everybody wants like our country wants to put you in a bucket and you know yeah. what if, if you know like the that thing i sent you both on the mississippi voting rights you know mm -hmm. back then it was black or white that that was pretty much it if, if you were mixed you could like, like the movie passing you could jump on yes. either either side but now the you of the country is tan <laughs> And it's Honestly, hard yes. to put people in just a white bucket or a black bucket. And, you know, one of the things that you touched on, like it, it would trigger, like when you're, when you said, you know, my mom wanted me to date black women, but I wasn't welcome there. You know, like, like to me, that just triggered this whole, like, did you have a conversation with your mom? Like, mom, I get what you're doing, but you know what? You just made it harder on me because... 
was like, wow, that like I would could just you know imagine. I mean, I can't you know one of my favorite movies is Guess Who's Coming to Dinner because that has been my life <laughs> for yeah. you know, a good forty plus years, a good forty plus years, where you just show up and they're like, oh. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. So did so, you have a conversation, Dwight, with your mom about I um so we grew up a conversation? Very, so grew up in a very religious family. We went to church three or four times a week, um, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Friday night, without fail. And we were Baptist? not yeah. Baptist. I uh, know it was Pentecostal. Oh, okay. Okay. So um, you, you may or may not know what that is, but nope, that is. Um, do. Um, My husband's family was Pentecostal for a time, but he's convinced it was because he's one of 18 and they just wanted to limit the birthday presents. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, I don't know. <laughs> one of 18. OK, so, yes, yeah. I was one of nine. And uh, but, were you? Yes. So um, so the, the so the questioning of some things really didn't occur to me until later in life. Um, you just didn't challenge that. And as I said, my, my mom really never told me the story because at the end of the day, it wasn't something she wanted to share with me at that point. Um, it was for her an embarrassed, embarrassed time in her life, uh, something that she did, uh, sex outside of marriage, um, you know, and here I am. And so it was, um, it was a challenge. And I think uh, she want, I'll, as, as any mother does, she wants the best for you. She doesn't want you to be hurt. Um, but we didn't have frank conversations about race in my family, um, not at all. Um, although I feel like my parents tried to prepare us um, as much as you know you can prepare kids. Um, most of that preparation was through you know um, the church, I would say, and the teachings there. Um, so, so wait, you said that. Um your wife was your first girlfriend and they wanted you to break up, but then did you not break up because she's your wife? No, what's, well, the interesting story is that um, we did break up and we went on our way in our life. I married another woman later in life and was married for 28 years. Uh, and then uh, um, we, we parted ways and uh, I met, um, I reconnected with uh, my wife now. So that's amazing. Uh, it's a different story, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like you were probably kind of meant to be and ultimately you found each other again, which is amazing. So speaking of that, you know, we're all Nate. Haley, you're married to a woman who's white. It's also my dear friend, Haley. And um, Dwight, your wife is white. She is. Yes. And my husband is Puerto Rican. So we're all in this kind of um, interesting relationship where sometimes people do, um, you know, I, I don't know if they have, I know I sometimes have hit upon different challenges. I don't know your experiences with that. What has it been like? You wanna go first, Nate? Or you want me to go first? Well, you can go first because Amanda okay. and I have shared a lot of, because we've, okay. as over, we've, we've been friends for what, uh, at least 30 plus years. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so we would always share stories in, you know, it was, Victor and I were always the ones that were in tune, like, Vic, did you just see that? Did you just, you know, and then, you know, 
uh, the girls would be like, what are you guys talking about? I'm like, they didn't even see it. They didn't see it. They didn't experience <laughs> it. And, and it was yeah. just, you know, it was Victor and I like caught all the vibes. But so I would love to hear some of your experiences. So my experiences um, would be, I would say, um, were most amplified when I was in the South. So um, I was in the Air Force. I spent 22 years in the Air Force. Um, and my first assignment uh, for training was in Mississippi. And, um, and then uh, we went, uh, I was stationed in um, West Florida, um, a place called uh, Eglin Air Force Base. And the um, West Florida is what they, they jokingly call, you know, um, Southern Alabama. Um, it's uh, it's uh, kind of that culture, an extension of that culture. And so I would say that if, if there were anything, it would be if we walked into a restaurant um, where I was, where I grew up in California or anywhere else, Arizona, Hawaii, you know, people wouldn't even bat an eye or look up at you. They would just continue the conversations. But there were times, you know, in, in uh, Florida uh, or Mississippi where I'd walk in and uh, you could feel the eyes on you, you know, and you could feel people watching and looking and it would only happen for a fraction of a second or a couple of seconds. And then they would go back to their conversation. So they would look at you, they would judge whether you were a, a threat or not or interesting to, you know, uh, different. And then once they'd made their assessment, they went back um, with, with their lives. And to, to your point, Nate, when you talk about respectability, when you talk about the fact that you feel, you know, your grandfather was trying to say, you, say to you that you're being watched. Um, you're, you're being watched in ways that other people don't have to deal with. Yeah. Um, they don't have to yeah. think about. Um, so I too felt the need to make sure that I was presentable at all times. I had friends who would walk around with the, the rattiest types of clothes and not think anything of it. And I never could, I never could uh, put myself in that position. I just thought that, you know, I'm already having a challenge here in some cases, so I don't want to make it worse. So I would say that it was mostly there. Um, and then if I did encounter it, um, one of the problems or challenges I think for me is I often don't see it or notice it because I'm not, I don't experience it much. And then when I do experience it, it goes right over my head in many cases. I'm not even aware uh, that I'm ex experiencing any kind of bias or um, prejudice or, or any kind of, um, you know, even racism um, at the extreme. So it's been kind of a mixed bag. Yeah. It, 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 it is where, you know, it, one of my, I have, Working in hospitality, you know, it's a lot of the, in, you know, interaction is over the phone. So you, you, mm -hmm. you so, and then, so I have this, and you build this relationship because mm -hmm. I'm planning this meeting with you, or I'm working with you on this event and we may not meet in, for six months. Mm -hmm. And I, one of, I have with the same group, it was, I had a, a group come in and they were out of New York and they were, um, it's funny, the group was heavy. There were, there were a lot of Afro-Americans in this group, but the woman who planned it was, was white. So we had this whole conversation, we're going and going and going on. And, and so, you know, and then the meeting finally is here and she's finally in the hotel. And I, I go to the restaurant to meet her <laughs> And she's sitting down 
And I go up to him like, hello, you know, welcome, you know, to the hotel. I'm so happy to be working with you. And you go, I'm Nate. And she looks at me and it's like, Nate. <laughs> and she's like, I didn't know you were so tall. That's exactly my <laughs> <laughs> reply to her was, yes, I'm very tall. And I go, my family has been tall for generations. And it, it broke that ice. And I like the demographics of your group. You are surrounded by, but we later got to became friends and we got to know each other. And um, she was like, I just, your voice, your cadence, how you spoke. I just did not connect it. I just didn't expect it. And it just threw me off. And then with this same group, um, we had a waitress that was with the group. And so they get back to me. So I, so the group is happy. Like, oh, like we got this black guy who was our, who was our conference planner. So he's going to take care of us. And this is the first time that we can feel like we're important in a hotel and we're not looked over or we're not going to get screwed. So a group of these ladies came to me and you're like, we'd like to talk to you about one of these, one of the, the waitresses. And I'm like, well, what waitresses? And it was Jill. And Jill was like this four foot nothing, blonde haired, blue eyed, very much like you, Amanda. Um, and she was married to our, one of our executive Sue's. And so these ladies are just convinced that, you know, Jill is a racist and she doesn't give them good service because they're black and she's, they're going on and on and on. And I always, always wore a signet ring. So I, you know, I'm listening and I'm talking and I spun my signet ring around. So it looks like it's a wedding band. And I say, well, I, I, I listened to them and I said, you know what? And oh, as I, I, I missed one part and Jill, I remember Jill coming to my office, like your group, they are giving me such a hard time. They hate me. They hate me. So I'm like, all right. And I, and I said, I told her, I'm like, I, I'm going to talk to them because they want to talk to me. So we, we get all that done. I spin, so I spin my signet ring around and I'm listening to these ladies. And I said, ladies, I find that hard to believe. I, you know, I know Jill is not a racist and we're going back and forth. And there's one woman goes, how can you, how do you know she's not a racist? And I go, because I raised my hand. I go, because I married to her. And I, you know, so it looks like it's my wedding band. And then their jaws dropped and they're like, oh my God, we're so sorry. We didn't know. And, and so then I have to run down to the kitchen and to, into the restaurant and like, hey, Jill, I told everybody we're married. So we got to play this game for the rest of the week while this group's in house. And I go in the kitchen and I say, hey, Ryan, just want to let you know, there's going to be a rumor that I'm married to your wife, but I'm just doing it to help her get through because these guys are just being really mean to her. And it's just one of my, you know, it, it's one of the great many hotel stories of like, it's just, you know, it's everyone's perception. But like, I you put a spin on that where, oh, you're married to a black guy? Everything's okay now. So everything was just, dismissed and then she yeah and then she she comes uh, jill comes to my office and she's like what you know i can't just because you said they think i'm married to a black guy that makes everything all right i'm like sadly yes and i and you know it's like she had reverse discrimination (laughs) yeah you know there's a couple of things that i have to say one is that in that instance it's like a funny instance but i have heard this thing where sometimes white people (laughs) that I know will believe that they cannot be racist because they are married to a person of color Mm -hmm. or even because they have kids you know 
that are biracial or multicultural. Mm -hmm. And I'm here to tell you <laughs> that we can all be racist. And, um, and it is an interesting thing sometimes because I'll hear that and somebody will say something and they'll say, oh, I can say it because, right. and then they'll proceed to say something that is, so that horrific. is racist. So horrific. Right? You're just like, I can't believe you just said that. Right. Exactly. And, and, you know, it's, it's interesting, um, that aspect of it. And you just reminded me of, oh, and then there's one other thing that, you know, I also think, you know, I've had conversations with people who are white and they'll say, you know, but what about this? And what about me? And what about this situation? And I do always say, you really have had it easier. It doesn't mean that you haven't had, you know, maybe poverty or you haven't had um, bad things happen and obstacles thrown in your path, but it hasn't been based on the color of your skin. And no, I so I have, you know, I've had that conversation where people go, but I've been the victim of, you know, my brother once said, because I had a conversation with this guy who was a wealthy white guy and he's like you don't know what i've experienced and my brother was like listen if you can't make it as a wealthy white man you are doing something wrong <laughs> so what about that what about um people who a believe there is no such thing as white privilege a lot of people will say it they'll say it there isn't a thing it doesn't exist and you know I hear people say slavery ended years ago. The Civil Rights Act was enacted. It it's not true. What do you think about that? Any of it? You can pick your. <laughs> yeah, um, it's, it's 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 Brian Gumpel once said it's it's like explaining the obvious to the clueless, and that's the best way to to say it, and that's the best way I try to and embrace it where he, he's really talking about the black tax where you know you have yeah. this tax you don't see it but you feel it every single day where you know you have you know you as a black person you always got the speech that you have to be 10 times better 10 times smarter you have to conduct yourself better don't act aggressive and you know uh, you know all of these things about you know driving while black you can go on and on and on where you know you you you, you know if you if you apply for a job and your name sounds ethnic, you know, you might not even get the, the initial call. Um, it, it, it's, it is, you know, it, it's exhausting it's probably Nate, right? And I know a lot of, I have a lot of friends that, you know, are minorities and they're like, I purposely named my child, you know, an Anglo, you know, a, a very waspy name. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want them to go through what, you know, they went through it. And like, it's, it's that you're like, okay, you get married, you're going to have a family. And it's sad that people of color have to think, what am I going to name my child? So my child, my child's name is going to play a key role in how they go through life. Mm -hmm. You know, whether, do I, do I do an ethnic name where they're just all right, you know, they, now they really do have to work 10 times harder. Or do I give them a leg up and, you know, I'll name you Ashley or I'll, or I'll name you William, you know, versus versus Deshaun or, you know, it, 
it's those, but to think how many families have to have that conversation, you yeah. know, where you, you know, like, you know, you, the name's the name, but you know what, I guarantee an Italian family doesn't have to go through that or a or or an or an I like I'm going to name my my an Irish family. I'm going to name my kid Kieran. I'm going to name them, you know. I'm trying to think of some more Irish names, but I can't. Liam, think of it. you know, Liam or Antonio <laughs> or you're Seamus or Antonio. Yeah, yeah if you're or, a, yeah. You know, well, Antonio you're, can get you in trouble. That's. <laughs> but, I say that being married to a Puerto Rican guy, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> but um, but I will say, you know, my husband has been that guy who he has a look in Spanish it's like a trompa it's like a um he has a pout a little bit of a pout and you know he can look scary to people he's not scary but there is this boogeyman there is this dark-skinned you know man that is really put out there it's on the news it's in movies it's in television shows I mean you know, it, it's really kind of this perpetual stereotype that we read about, that we turn on the news, that we relentlessly see. I even think if you're uh, a person of color, I think I was watching something by Michelle Obama and she said, you know, even people of color imbibe some of this poison mm -hmm. um, because yeah. it is a poison that is, you know, within our whole society. So there is this fear and maybe racism is rooted in fear and you know when brian gumble was talking about um explaining what was it nate explaining yeah and but you know as exhausting as it is i think that we have to keep giving examples mm -hmm. because if somebody has never experienced that and has led some sort of sheltered life and is not really maybe a deep thinker or maybe they don't read or yeah. examine if we well, that, can't yeah. explain it it's yeah. just going to perpetuate it, it it and then you were referring to when i said the explaining the obvious to the clue that's it we've all had that conversation where like you literally have to squint because you are hurting my head because I, I just, it, it's common sense where, but there are some people that are just, but we've said, we've had conversations, the three of us, where it, it starts at home. I mean, it, it's what happens once your door closes behind you, you can be whoever you want in the street, but you know, look, kids playing in the sandbox, kids playing on the playground are having fun until an adult says, don't play with the, the black kid, don't play with the yellow kid, don't play with the tan kid. You know, their kids just want to have fun. They don't care right. until we get involved, until adults put our poison, our fears, our, you know, all the things, our boogeymen that we put in. And then that continues to just push this poison to the next generation and to the next generation. Um, and, you know, when, you know, how, I don't know when it stops or how it stops, but I think through education, because a lot of it is just ignorance. And, and I've said this to you guys as well. I can tell a lot about you by who's sitting at your dinner table. I can tell a lot. If everybody at your dinner table looks like you, guess what? There's no diversity. There's no, there's no engaging conversations of, of difference. There's no, you're, you're not getting a different point of view. So we're all drinking the same Kool-Aid because we all look the same, but 
that moment you put people of different backgrounds and diversity at your table, you you're bringing out and and you're bring you're bringing out different flavors of food, <laughs> you're bringing out different conversations, um, and it's the same way. Like you know, you show me three of your friends, and I can tell a lot about you. You know. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I was also thinking that as a couple, I think I do think. Yeah, it's baby steps and it's movement by centimeter, but I do believe it's it's better. You know, I do hear a lot of times, you know, and believe me, I know when you watch our structures and our systems, it doesn't look better. But I do think like this is only my my situation. So this is going to sound crazy, but um, believe it or not, even as it relates to like Jennifer Lopez playing parts that aren't actually specifically written for Puerto Ricans. She's just playing either a mom or a woman or whatever she is, as I can see the difference that that has happened. I, I guess it's representation is what I'm talking about. I guess it's that, you know, when we were growing up, a lot of times the black guy or the Puerto Rican guy or whatever was playing a specific role mm -hmm. on Law and Order or, or whatever show. And now, I do think representation is helping because it's, I hope it's saying we're, we're all just like living our lives and getting married and having children or not getting married and not having children, you know, whatever it is, we're just moving through our lives as all, you know, they're really so corny, but they're, it's human race. That, that is the race. It's the human race. Yeah. Um, you figure you, you, we have, we have more acceptance of the LGBTQT community than we do of just black and white community. If you think you know, about, you, yeah. You think about, but I mean, also look at schools. Look at the history books. You like, you know, you have you know diversity training, but if if, if you know the you know the debate of you know can a, a boy you know everything from sports with the LGBT. L, I don't know, LGBT community in sports. You're good. My kids always yell at me because we get it wrong. I'm telling you right I now. Always miss one. <laughs> but, You're missing the plus on the end. You know. Yeah, but I it, think it's out of order, but whatever. You know, companies are working hard at it to accommodate all of these needs. But you know what? Six hundred years, and we still have yet to embrace that same. Put that same you know, brain power, emotional, you know, all of that energy behind just good old fashioned black and white. Right, you know so, what I was thinking, one time I was sitting with a friend and she, speaking of California, Dwight said, I went to California, nicest person I was talking to by the way. And she said, oh my gosh, it didn't even look like America. And I said, it didn't, why? And she said, there were so many Asians there. And I said, well, perhaps that's what America is looking like now. <laughs> like that is America. Mm -hmm. And she said, oh, right. I didn't think about that. Like she was a nice person, but in her head, America was white. It's all about what? colonization. If you look at that, it's all about colonization. It was right. the European, European white person that says, okay, I'm going to colonize. I'm going to you know, it, and it just grew from there. I mean, if you look at the black and white issue in, say, Cuba or Puerto Rico, it, it's different than it is in America. 
you know, those countries, those countries had slaves just as, 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 as we did, but there was humanity there. You had no humanity here where, you know what, you, 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 I mean, it's, and it's not that far ago. 1962 is not that long ago. And the fact that blacks weren't even considered, they were subhuman, subhuman. And you could not just, you you have to objectify somebody to do what, to do what has been done to people of color. You, you objectify them and make them less than human. It's the only way that you can do it. I was reading something about the um, constitution and, you know, come on. They knew our founding fathers. They weren't founding mothers. They were founding fathers. And they certainly had, I believe that intellectually they knew that slavery was wrong. Mm-hmm. But um, if but you they, think about it, look, look at Thomas Jefferson. He, he, he loved his slaves. <laughs> he loved them so yeah. much he had children with them. Well, that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> and yet but, that's what I say when people say, oh, I'm married to somebody. I can't possibly be racist. Yes. Well, if you if you if if you look at my last name, my last name Waldron is Irish, and we I have been able to do history. The my name goes all the way back to Ireland, County Galway, and then I probably was like fifteen years ago. I was in Ireland on a golf trip, and I'm in. I'm in Galway City and I go into a shop and I buy a vest and I put my credit card down and the woman says Waldron and she looks at me and she's like, I'm a Waldron. And she's like, you have some explaining to do. I'm like, no, you have some explaining to do. And the rest of my afternoon was spent in her shop. She got on the phone. She called all of her family and like you have to come to the shop and I met this whole clan and who I'm still in touch with who I still have and 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 when I have gone back to Ireland I go to Galway and we we gather we it's just and but it I you know the the Irish are the blacks of Europe So we had this kindred spirit where, look, we, you know, we, we've slugged it out too. So we, we get it, but, you know, you figure it and we try to figure out, you know, how this happened. So, you know, all right, there was some, I'm sure there was some Waldron that was on some plantation and slept with a black person and, and then had children. And then that's how the name finally got from, because we, we, our family goes back into the Carolinas. So from the Carol, from Ireland to the Carolinas to here. But it's, you know, it, 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 it's amazing if you can take that 16th second and just have the conversation. I could have walked out of that store and joked it. And I'm like, no, I'm like, I took the 16th second. I'm like, there's something really cool, right? Going on right now. Yeah, and exactly. To take that time to talk about it and for her to get on the phone and then she told me there's two sides of Waldron's you got the good side and you're on the good side right now but you got the bad side of the Waldron's and she gave me this whole feel and then the nice part is she's like you know what let's call them we haven't spoken to them in years so we called the the bad side of the Waldron's and so we had all of these Waldron's and the common thread was the last name but it was awesome to have this energy between one black guy and 40 white people (laughs) who are probably related that have you ever done ancestry nate 
I haven't really dug into oh, it as please much. Do but it. I, but it, it's funny with the, the with and this shop that I bought the vest from, they did all of the wardrobe for the movie Quiet Man with John Wayne and Maureen. Oh, wow. So they showed they brought out pictures. So it was a really cool exchange. It um, would be really interesting to see. I, I love that kind of stuff to find out yeah. all of those different um flavors that make yeah. us up and um, it's funny because the one of the guys was like he was like i always knew we had soul in our family <laughs> <laughs> hey i'm solar so um <laughs> that's my immediate thought so i have a big question what do what do we do about it what do, what do we do about this um stain that is in our country. I can only speak for our country. Um, you know, what, what's the answer? What can one person do about the racism that is inherent in many of our systems and is unfortunately sometimes inherent in, in all of us. It's in the air that we sometimes breathe. What can you suggest that people do? Well, I, I think talking about it is definitely a step in the right direction. Mm -hmm. um, when, when people interact with each other on a human level and are real with each other, I think that, and open up, I think that um, there's healing that happens. I see a lot of promise in the youth of today. I really do. When, um, uh, when we had, um, you know, um, Black Lives Matter um, marches in, in this country and on our little town, there were probably six or seven of them, uh, separate ones, and they were full of, of youth, of young people uh, speaking out against um, um, systemic racism. So I think actually talking, I also think we need to extend each other some mercy. Look, we're gonna say the wrong thing. We don't, we're not all knowledgeable um, we grew up, I mean, I grew up playing a game where you called a kid a name that started with a Q, and then your job was to tackle that kid. And we, we played that game. It was a slur against um, a gay man. And I grew up thinking that was acceptable and fine. Right. I, I, was, yeah. I went all the way into the military thinking I would, I would call people that. Or, um, and I yeah. learned over time that that was wrong and it was hurtful. And what made me really feel it was the thought that in my life that I had stood next to uh, someone who I really liked or people that I really liked and enjoyed being around. And I was using those terms and for, you know, I probably didn't know it, but I was talking to you know, men or women who were gay and, um, and I was hurting them. Uh, a person, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of myself as a good person. Um, they're friends of mine and I'm cutting them to pieces with my words and my word choice and the ease in which it rolled off my tongue. So my point is that we all have some growing to do, all of us do. And yes. just because you have a skin color or you're black or white or you're gay or you're straight or you're Jewish or Christian, we don't all know each, about each other. And the only way to do that and to learn is to read and to, to talk um, and, um, and to break bread, uh, as Nate says, break bread with people that are different than you. First, you have to care. 
You have yeah, to care look, first. Look how look how this organically grew. Yeah. It was me talking to Amanda, me talking to you, Dwight, and like I I want you to meet my friend Dwight. I want you to meet my friend Amanda. I think you two are gonna hit it off. And you know it's you know I'm constantly you know you guys know I'm I'm constantly sending off different yeah. just nuggets of just. It, it's it's just knowledge knowledge is going to and and storytelling i think storytelling because you can give people facts and you can give people you know stats and facts but to tell someone a story that and you put it in a context that they can relate to um i mean, I mean if you think about the civil rights movement it truly came down to lyndon b johnson's I, I will call her his nanny, mammy, nanny, whatever you want to say. And they, she was late getting to wherever Lyndon was at to take care of his children. And he's like, why were you late? He's losing his mind. I'm, why were you late? And she's like, well, it took us this long to get from here to here. We couldn't find a hotel. We had to sleep in the car. We got harassed. We got pulled over. She gave him this whole thing and he was just unaware. We had this, we, we touched on this earlier where you're just unaware of your surroundings. And he did you just, that's what really triggered it. A lot of people think it was, you know, and, and I think, you know, MLK and, and you know, um, the, the, the movement in Mississippi because that was happening during the Democratic convention when he was being nominated. That did help, but it took someone he knew and loved who he considered part of his family. And you showed this person disrespect. That is what truly pushed him into pushing through the, the civil rights, um, um, the Civil Rights Act. Oh, I didn't really know that. And there's a nice story on it. If if if, if there's a, it's it was the one when Dennis Quaid played LBR in in that LBR movie. Um, uh, they touch on that piece right there, and they they do show a scene where he is just he he's going after her, and she's like, "It's not our fault. This is just this is America. This is how it is for me. And my this is how life is for me every day." every day. Right. And right. You know it's what, Amanda? Yeah. You know what's important is allyship. And yeah. it's really important that we have white allyship. Um, yeah. when, when, when a white person says something and speaks about injustice versus a person of color speaking about injustice, they, the, messaging could, the messaging could be exactly the same, but it's received differently. Mm -hmm. And I just see the power uh, and I feel like there is more of that now. And what we have to do is make sure it doesn't disappear or dissipate or turn into apathy or turn into resignation because things aren't changing fast enough. So um, it's important, you know, uh, again, you're, you're an important part of this whole equation as well. The fact that you're willing to stand up and, in, and have your voice heard on a very important matter, um, it carries a lot of weight. It carries a lot of weight. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for saying that. And thank you for, you know, I love the concept of showing each other mercy. And um, because you know what, we've all had our evolutions, you know, through through life. And I'm not done with my evolution. I'm sure 
Yeah. You know, in years back, I'll look back at certain things I say and think and do and, and think, whoa, what was I thinking? You know, we have to be willing to expand our minds. And I appreciate you both coming on here because I do think it's important to have white allies, but I also do think that we have to be careful about, um, you know, speaking in, in a way that, you know, we don't know, you know? I know how, I know what it is to be a white woman, <laughs> but I can imagine, you know, the others. And, and honestly, I grew up not fully understanding that I, that there was even a thing called right, white privilege. I used to think probably in the eighties when I started dating my husband, sometimes that, oh, you might have a chip on your shoulder. You know, that's not real. Um, and then of course I, yeah was privy to it. I had a front row seat, you know, I might not be um, experiencing it firsthand, but I definitely have a front row seat is how I, I'll say it. So I really, I, I can't tell you both how much I appreciate you coming on. There's so many aspects to this topic. I think that we could hit upon, you know, there's just, there's so many things to talk about. Um, well, maybe it's a series. Maybe That's what I'm series. thinking. Yeah. <laughs> In you just to, you know, there is, um, oh, I forgot. I think I sent it to both of you as a podcast and it is about th this. And then you also have um, oh, the football player, uh, in, uh, I, I, the uncomfortable conversation with the black Oh, man. right, right. Uh, um, um, I know who you mean, but yes. I can't remember his name. I can't remember his Uncomfortable name. conversations <laughs> with a black yeah. man or of a black man or something like yeah. that. Yeah. We, yeah. I mean, but you, what you just touched on, you know, look, you have biracial girls, yeah. you know, you're experiencing, yeah. you know, you know, they're going through like, their like own identity, yeah, their own identity. Like when you're talking about Julia, when she's talked about, you know, mommy, I'm not Irish. And you're like, uh, I'm pretty sure you are Irish. Yes. She you thought know? she was. I will just say it was a teacher who told her she wasn't. <laughs> yes. But just to have yeah. someone say that. Yeah. And her to either take her 20 seconds of bravery and say, no, I am. And here's yeah. why I know I am. Because right. my mother is Irish. My father is Puerto Rican. And I will school you on the education of my DNA. So you, and you just take away, you just take away that voice of negativity that you're, you're sending. Now you're sending this little girl home. You know, there's no different than what my grandfather said to me, like, you know, I'm going to, you know, you know, fifth grade, you're, you're, I'm getting adult lessons, which were a blessing to me, a blessing. Right. Um, right. But you think about it, it's like, you know, as kids, you, you, you want to protect them and I don't have children, but I know, you know, you want to protect them. You want to, but sometimes, and I have these discussions with my sisters and I also friends at work where, you know, no, you need to treat them like an adult at some point, because if you well, coddle them, if you yeah. protect them, and then you're going to put them in the universe. And guess what? The universe is going to eat them alive. But I you know, am yeah. so happy that I knew at a very, like, you know, I remember being six years old and my grandfather gave me the speech that started at six and continued to the day he died, where he said, I'm giving you two things. I'm giving you my name and you have your word. They're the two things that, guess what? No one can take away from you unless you allow them to. You will fight. You must 
fight to the death to keep those intact. You keep my name intact, you keep your word intact. And you think about like the, the, your, your family name, that is, it, it's funny because, you know, Haley, she's like, I'm an appendage, I'm an appendage. She goes, no one knows me, but she goes, I use your name in town and like, oh, doors open, things happen. And, and, oh, but, Nate, it's not even about your name sometimes. I'm just going to throw it out there because I was telling somebody about you and I said, when we were younger and, and honestly, Vic, I don't know, there's such a, like an urban thing with, with Victor that has evolved as he's older um, now people just kind of go, oh, whatever. <laughs> but when we were younger in Doylestown, you know, it's a sea of whiteness. And um, when we would go somewhere with you, Nate, I'm like, I would say to people, people treat us so nicely. <laughs> they give us a free drink. Like, what is happening? What is that? What Nate is that? Friends. Nate has friends everywhere. I think Nate could go to any country and running himself and i'm serious i think he could do that yeah. and um, it's not just like he knows them sometimes he would go somewhere didn't know anybody and somehow out of yeah. the four of us they loved him yeah and i was like hey <laughs> <laughs> i'm fun too you know but it, <laughs> and it is maybe your your grandfather helped with that he imbued he really maybe imbued you with a sense of your own power. Mm -hmm. And I guess if we can give our kids, all of our kids, whatever, whatever, whatever they are. Have in, and have that self, that it just, that pride of self. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's like, you know, look, no one's going to come to rescue us. There's no manual with this. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it is you. And if, if you don't love and, and respect yourself, how can you expect anyone else to, to do that? You know, so you walk in with your head held high and, and yeah, you, you know, you know, like, and I, I say this all, I'm a grown ass man. I, I was talking to my controller today and I'm like, we were, we were joking back and I'm like, Sham, I'm a grown ass man. I have no tolerance or time for this. So it, it, it is where, and people, they, they feed off of that where, yeah. wow, you're right. You know, I mean, this is, it's not, we to get this far in life, and to, you know, to have the things that we have that we've accomplished. And like I said, Dwight is like, you know, I know when we went to dinner at, um, uh, we were at uh, Broadmoor and you were talking about like your next chapter and I got so excited for him. I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I felt, I mean, I'm like, man, I just can't, like, it's like shot out of a cannon what the next chapter is going to look like for Dwight and I'm so excited and I just want to hang on to his coattails and just look as he shoots this rocket across the sky and spreads all this freaking goodness because he truly is a good man and you know if you, if you surround yourself with good people and that you feed off of that you yeah. feed off of that. And there's times where I'll, you know, and there's times where I think to myself, ah, I got to calm down. I'm sending too much stuff. And then he'll send me this text and like, you know what, you're on point. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm doing, because, you know, I don't want to be that. Guy. No, I, I love it. It's an I education. Don't. 
You know, yeah. I did this Sounds thing where you just, I don't want to be that guy. I'm like, I'm not on a soapbox. It's just my way of no. sharing knowledge that like, wow, this blew my mind. I hope it blows your yeah. mind. Exactly. And I appreciate it. My father does that, as you know, yes. me. you know, my father does the same thing. And it's important that people do that. And when somebody has information that is going to make the world better, share it. Because yeah. we were talking in our last conversation, you know, how do you make the world better? Well, you have to start, first of all, with yourself. And then you have only your, you know, you know, we're not president of the United States. So we have our corner and we have to kind of spread outward. And so mm -hmm. I deeply appreciate it. Um, I also appreciate people wanting the world to be better. I mean, yeah. I really do. I love to be surrounded by people who aren't hopeless, who, you know, think about it. It's like, we're not, it's not a life. Or, it's a conversation. It's not a life or death. As my GM says, he goes, you, you know, we're, we're not storming the beaches of Normandy. We're not getting shot at. It's just a conversation. But think about how hard it is for so many people to have that conversation. You know, yeah. you, you look you know, like, like I'm a, I love huge World War II buff and having two grandfathers that fought in World War II and to hear their war stories compared to what I see on TCM or, you know, all of these old war movies, none of the soldiers look like my grandfather, grandfather. Right. But to hear the stories that, you know, my one grandfather who fought he was in Patton's third army and he, because Patton was the, the one general that integrated his army because he just wanted to win. And if you look at the history of Patton, yeah, he was a racist, but he really didn't care. He goes, I want to win and I'll take white, green, yellow. I don't care as long as I win. And they were, he was in, they were going through Italy and all the villagers were, there was a black platoon that was going through Italy and my grandfather was in this platoon and, you know, all the villagers are, are lifting his coat. And they're like, and they, you know, it took them a while to understand why are you lifting my, mm. and it was all the white soldiers taking through and said, you guys are monkeys. You had tails. You want to see your tail. And, you know, he was like, I'm bleeding. These black soldiers are dying and bleeding just like the others. And guess what? I'm still Jim Crow. I'm still segregation. I'm still, yeah still going through it and then the stories that you heard when a lot of these guys went back home and they were in the south it was not a good homecoming you know look no. northeast northeast it was okay well my grandfather came back to lambertville my other one came back to pennington it was great you know right. they probably but going if you're in mississippi or you know carolinas alabama it's a different story coming home yeah. It didn't care. You could have a bronze star, silver star in your chest. Didn't matter. You could have a Congressional Medal of Honor around your neck. Really didn't matter. Right. You know, and these are the things as we have this dialogue and bring all of this up and continue to talk about it. That's where I think is what's going to help kind of push all of this that we've been talking about. I agree. About. Well, if you're, if you're up for it, maybe we'll even broaden this conversation out and invite more people in to mm. to do it i'd love it so. i'd love it love it okay well thank you both once again so 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 much 
I really appreciate it. And I think yeah. my, this might be the start of, you know, I a continuing conversation. New. And I think, I, I think Dwight's got some great ideas. Maybe we can figure all this stuff out with this with mm. some beautiful ideas and, and, and kick them off. Mm -hmm. This could be a great platform. So this could be a great platform. <laughs> think Dwight needs his own podcast. I think Dwight, well, I want Dwight to be the mayor of Lambertville and I want to be. Okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> thanks guys thank, thank you. you so much this was excellent Enjoy we'll be it. in touch guys take care bye-bye sometimes the soulful connections podcast will feature conversations like the one you just heard i would love your thoughts send me an email soulfullife at gmail.com i really would like to hear from you hey Thanks for listening. Giant thank you goes out to show advisor Roseanne Griffiths, the talented musician Bill Aronson, who wrote, produced, performed the Soulful Connections theme song. And a thank you goes out to Brad Sanders for creating the Soulful Connections logo. Love it. That's new this year. So much gratitude to these guys and to my friends and family who continue to listen and guide me. And once again, to you for listening. I would love to hear from you. Please shoot me an email at soulfullife at gmail.com. That's S-O-L-F-U-L-L-I-F-E at gmail.com.